the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Jimmy Sangenberger here for Deborah Flora on this, the end. Well, I guess technically tomorrow will be the end of the first week of 2023, if you can believe it already, just about a week in. And it's good to be with you on day number four of the U.S. House votes regarding the next Speaker of the House. And folks, it does look like we are very, very close to having a resolution tonight when they gavel back in at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. That would be 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This morning, they went through rounds 12 and 13 and convening tonight after having adjourned in a very sizable adjourning uh, adjournment vote, by the way, 220 to 214, I believe, was the vote. All Republicans just about vote or maybe it was 212. I got to double check the adjourning vote. But I think it was all Republicans that got on board that were present in the chamber. Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado had to leave yesterday for reportedly a non-emergency medical procedure, so he was not there for most of day three yesterday, and at least the first two votes today, he and Congressman Wesley Hunt may come back, that's what they're talking about, for tonight's vote to sew this thing up. As you had a slew of Republicans who had been holdouts flip mostly in the 12th round of voting this morning. It was quite interesting. Round 12, they get in there and the list of folks who flipped to vote for McCarthy included some notable names. Scott Perry the head of the Freedom Caucus, who vigorously opposed McCarthy as recently as yesterday, voted for McCarthy. Chip Roy also did. Paul Gosar of Arizona, he wasn't too happy as he made that announcement. You could see it on his face. But nevertheless, Gosar did come out when they went through for those who hadn't voted yet in the 12th round and cast his ballot for McCarthy. Anna Paulina Luna of Florida also making a switch, and she had been getting a lot of pressure at home on that. Byron Donalds made a flip. What was noticeable to me is that in that twelfth vote, remember there were there were number twelve there was number twelve and then there was number thirteen today. In that twelfth vote Jim Jordan, Byron Donalds, Kevin Hearn, and, of course, Donald Trump never was a voting member, 
but he had been nominated. All those people who had been put forward, Byron Donalds, Jim Jordan, Kevin Hearn, Donald Trump, they all were for McCarthy in vote number 12. Now, in that vote, the only person who was put up as another name was Jim Jordan. So yesterday, in what it would have been vote number 11, you had Matt Gates get up there, I think it was Gates, and nominate Byron Donalds. And then Lauren Boebert got out there and nominated Kevin Hearn. This morning, it was Jim Jordan that Matt Gates got out and nominated. And Jordan got seven votes in round 12, and then in round 13, he got six votes, and there were no nominations. They didn't nominate or for an additional person. The only two names that were actually nominated in round 13 was McCarthy and Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat. And then the other six votes went to Jim Jordan, but Jordan was never formally nominated. You don't have to be nominated in order to get a vote. So let's be clear of what has happened over the course of the last several days. The opposition, the holdouts, the dissenters, the hostage takers, choose your word, your descriptor for the members who were opposing McCarthy, that number had whittled down in the past 24 hours. And it also had shifted. Remember, Jim Jordan was the standard bearer, and he even said, don't vote for me. I'm all behind McCarthy. I don't want to be speaker. Then they brought out Byron Donalds. Then they brought out Kevin Hearn, and somewhere along the way, Matt Gates brought Donald Trump's name into the mix for two votes. I think it was two votes. And then ultimately, they go back to Jim Jordan, and they have seven votes. And then in round 13, I think it was six votes. One other flip went for McCarthy. Now, the question I think we all have to ask those remaining six is what it was their end game? What was their goal when it's clear that all of these rock-ribbed conservatives had been satisfied enough in their negotiations to say they support McCarthy. What was the rationale for the other six, which included both Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert of Colorado, as well as a few others? What's sort of their rationale for this? Because to me, I, I haven't seen it. I think that there isn't anything more substantive that they will be able to get or could be targeting. It seems that the negotiators, the leaders in the House who'd been engaged in negotiation, like Scott Perry, head of the Freedom Caucus, were able to get those concessions, that the key concessions that they really wanted regarding rules, packages, and some floor votes. We don't know all the details. We'll get that coming out for sure. But Nevertheless, they were satisfied enough. And to me, those are the serious players that were engaging in negotiation at that point. 
I can't discern what Gates or Boebert were trying to accomplish at that point. And look, let's be clear about this, because these are all Republicans in the U.S. House, and we need all the Republicans to be supported in their efforts to quash the Democrat agenda and supported in their efforts to do oversight of the Biden administration. So today, when we talk about any of the Republicans in the conference in the House, and maybe with some criticism, doesn't mean we don't support them. So, for example, when I levy criticisms against our own Lauren Boebert or against Kevin McCarthy, that doesn't take away from my support for them in accomplishing the objectives they need to achieve. And in Boebert's case, most definitely the fact that I think it's so good that we have her still in the U.S. House. We need three Republicans. We need more than three from Colorado in Congress. And I'm glad she made it. And she's a fighter. And she's somebody who's going to continue to do good work as she has the last two years. But I can't understand her rationale. Here's a little bit when she was on with George Brockler a couple of days ago of Lauren Bober talking about her demands and the prospects of bringing over the so-called Never Kevins. We brought him a very common sense offer. Um, he asked us about the committee assignment. Um, we want you on some important committees. Which committees are you willing to serve on? We simply provided that list for him. And then these other common sense proposals, a balanced budget, um, a term limit, a border bill to secure our southern border, uh, just uh, amendments to be made in order that uh, reduce the national debt, very common sense items, and, and then a few others. And he would not engage in the conversation. He would not um, have any sort of discussion whatsoever. And so we are to a point now where we have 20 that are not changing their vote. Um, for You're one of them. Speaker. I, I, I am one of them. And, um, you know, it's really unfortunate because I, I told Kevin, I have I have never Kevin on board with me. I have. That's incredible. Gone public. Yes. They have gone public for months saying we will not vote him under a vote for him under any circumstances. And I got them there. And he rejected it. And you know what? That sounds like there's a big knock on McCarthy for not lining up the votes and getting this dip to the butt. As I've been saying all week, filled in for Deborah on Tuesday, filled in for George for a couple hours yesterday. Nancy Pelosi would never have let it get this far. She would have never gotten to the floor of the House for a vote on her speakership if she did not have the votes. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy did. But what's perplexing me, and please, 303-696-1971, call in if you can help me understand this a little bit more. What's perplexing to me is Boebert was talking to George on Wednesday about bringing Never Kevins to the table. Oh, I had them. Well, we've got some Never Kevins that got on board with McCarthy in vote number 12 today and then vote number 13 today. But Boebert and five others... Weren't there. Why not? What is it that Paul Gosar, Chip Roy, Scott Perry, Anna Polina Luna, Byron Donalds saw or accepted that Bobert and Gates and Good and Kane and Rosendale and there's one other name did not by round thirteen. Now there are indications from Matt Gates that he's actually ready to get on board with 
Kevin McCarthy at this point. According to Julie Surskin at NBC News, Gates, who has been huddling with Boebert on the floor, sounds like he is conceding that McCarthy will win. I think the House is in a lot better place with some of the work that's been done to democratize power out of the speakership, and that's our goal. I asked that as the reporter, Julie from NBC News, if this conver- if his conversation with Trump helped shake things up in the House. Gates said, I'm very excited, as, as is he, that he now ha- holds the record over John Quincy Adams. Not quite sure what that's about, but um, John Quincy Adams, the reporter says, was briefly made chairman of the House while the 1839 speaker race went on. But Gates giving indications that he is... Flipping to McCarthy. What do you make of all this? Will we have a resolution as seems to be heading our way in the in vote number 14 at 8 p.m. Mountain Time tonight? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can also text into the show on the 710 KNUS app. On your smartphone, you can tweet at me. I am at Sang Center. That's saying with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. A couple ways to email me as well. Go to my show's page, Jimmy Sangenberger's show, at 710knus.com. Of course, my program will air tomorrow from 6 to 9 here on 710knus. And there's my website. You can go to the contact page there. JimmySangenberger.com. No A-I or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So questions here. One, will we have a resolution tonight, 8 p.m. Mountain, when they reconvene in the House? Two, what were Boebert, Gates, and the other four that voted against McCarthy in round 13? What do you think they were looking for there? Is there anything substantive here, or was it more symbolism over substance? And what does this portend for the future of the Republican Party as we move ahead? 303-696-1971. Let's go to Don in Colorado Springs. Don, you're on with Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. Hey, good afternoon, Jimmy. Um, I think, I mean, Kevin McCarthy is eventually going to get it because nobody else wants to have the job. That's just, that's just the... Facts. Nobody else wants it, and Kevin McCarthy wants it really bad. He got mentored by John Boehner and Paul Reinen, and he feels he's entitled to uh, the uh, position, and ultimately he's going to get it. I mean, but I will say, at least with this, just because it's not happening quick enough, I mean, the mainstream media can spin it all at once, but this is basically kind of getting concessions, trying to push back and try to... Um, I mean, at least the conservative 20 try to say, hey, we got some issues. We want we want a little redress. And I mean, and McCarthy's trying to soften them as much as they can. And put, for the most part, he has made that progress. You know, I think that we will have to judge based on what we hear they actually got for concessions. Was this worth it? To what extent was this delay and the embarrassment the Republicans got actually worth it? Because I I actually don't think that it's... The only embarrassment will be because the media is going to make it. You know, they just say, oh, it's going to happen all quick. With all due respect, Don, I, I do think it is a frustration and a bit of an embarrassment to have four days of nothing being done for the average American having debates over a legal 
leader for the House of Representatives. And oh, by the way, meanwhile, Joe Biden has been acting like he suddenly discovered this other border and he's Mr. Serious on the border. Juxtapose. Well, but Don, juxtapose Joe Biden suddenly appearing serious on the border and he's going up against the U.S. House where Republicans can't even agree on a leader. The gridlock has been – we've always had gridlock in government. This is different from gridlock, time. Don. I mean, we've we fought over things, and it took generations and all that stuff to set things straight. I mean, that's that's the problem with our country. But, but this they was on the – but, Don, this was on the Speaker of the House, somebody who had not been contested in even getting to a second vote in 100 years. That's where I think there is a little bit of an embarrassment here. And by the way, that embarrassment gets shared all across the entire Republican conference and most certainly includes the inept leader, Kevin McCarthy, who needs to learn from this experience on how to actually bridge divides more quickly, get consensus among Republicans and get things done for the American people and for our agenda. And, and, and we'll see if he actually really does that once that is done. But the thing of it is, we protested against Obamacare back in the 2010s. We wanted it repealed. It never happened. John Boehner just did what he did. And you know what? Republicans basically keep a well, program that the Democrats have in it. I would, I would actually put the repeal and replace disaster more at the feet of the Republicans in the Senate in that case. And not just That's John McCain, true. by the way. True. And, 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 of course, you know, Mc, McCain was part of that, you know. That, oh, yes. You know, reach across the aisle. Without a this, doubt. This, 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 is, this, is, this is why the speaker fight is happening because of Republicans that basically pull out the knife when the people are not looking. And hmm. it's just like that line in the Pink Floyd song, Dogs. You have to be trusted by the people that you lie to. So when they turn their backs on you, you get the chance to put the knife in. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's not a bad analogy, Don. Hey, I appreciate the call. Thank you and have Happy New Year. 303. Six nine six nineteen seventy one is our telephone number. We've got more to talk about on this and other things. Yes, it is the two year anniversary of January sixth, and the left wing media most certainly is not happy that the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Capitol writ large, isn't really doing all that much about it. We'll have that and more coming up on the other side. But what are your thoughts on this speaker race? Will we get a resolution at the end of the evening? What is the end game at this point for the six Republican holdouts? Keep it right here. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. Thanks to Jim Jim Nichols behind the glass for plugging a little blues for me. I was feeling, are Republicans going to get it straight? Are they going to sort it out? A little of the band trampled underfoot on this Friday afternoon. That is the question. As the Republicans brought the U.S. House to adjournment after a 13th vote today, And, look, I got a text here. Jimmy, you're wrong. It's not an embarrassment. It's a house settling issues. Here's a question. Can't it be both? Sometimes things that you do are embarrassing. 
But in the end, they come out with something that is better on the other side. Is this an embarrassment for the Republican Party? I believe so. I believe it does show some level of disarray. I believe it does show that the American people have representatives who can't get it together within their own parties, which does lead to some questions about governance. However, one can make the case that, okay, yeah, it's embarrassing, but you know what? It's worth it because we're getting whatever these rule changes are. We're going to have votes on particular policies, etc. The gains are worth it. And sometimes a little bit of embarrassment is necessary for the greater good. And that is a reasonable argument. Is that the case here? I think we're going to find out based on what concessions, the holdouts, the dissenters, whatever you want to call them, actually achieved. But I think this is something still that Republicans should have dealt with before getting to the floor of the House. So as to show greater unity among the Republicans in the House before getting to governance and not giving Biden. Look at the opportunity that Biden created in his administration on Tuesday. They don't reach a speaker vote or decision in their votes. Three rounds. Biden announces, oh, I'm going to go to the southern border. Then on Thursday morning. At just as the House is about to gavel in, he goes out and gives a press conference with details on how he's going to El Paso, Texas on Sunday. And he seems like, even though he's only just discovered the southern border, he seems like he's on the ball. At least to those who aren't paying enough attention, who know that Biden has not given a damn about the crisis at the southern border through his entire presidency. But... You have that juxtaposition of a house that can't even get its leader figured out so they can be sworn in, for crying out loud, up against a president who is finally, yeah, finally, but still going to the border and talking about a crisis down there. We'll have some audio from that here in a moment as well. But I think two things can be right at the same time. It could be an embarrassment, but it could be worth it. What do you think? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. Again, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. Let's go to Sheila in Denver. Good afternoon, Sheila. Good afternoon, Jimmy. Uh, What's on your mind? I'm just going to agree with the last piece of what you just said. I think that sometimes embarrassing discussions can bring some really good things to light. So uh, that's where I'm at. After reading about this, looking up information, and um, let's see, listening to people like Jason Chaffetz and Tucker Carlson's opinion, which he wrote yesterday for Fox, um, on the topic of that sometimes accountability makes people uncomfortable in Washington. And I thought, aha, I think we're getting closer to I mean, if we have some of these rules changes that these people are wanting, that these representatives have been wanting, I think it makes it easier to bring things to light when bills are being discussed. And I think that's a real benefit for all of us. 
to know more of what's going on, to have more transparency. And it is, after all, quote, the people's house. Eddie, that's what I thought. So I'm going to be on the side of those who have said, you know, bringing things to light, even if it's embarrassing, you know, I'm okay with that. Interesting. So would you then say that you think it's better that they've gone through four days of public debate than figuring this thing out before getting to the floor of the House, even at the expense of appearing for a week like the Republicans are in disarray? At the very least, we know a little bit more about what's being done as far as the sausage making in the speaker decision making process. Yes, I do. And I also feel that those who are saying this about it being embarrassing, we have to remember who those are. Some of the folks are folks like MSNBC showing great sympathy now. Well, they're, they've been, I, I will say, Sheila, they've been saying this because they love it. They like having yeah, they the sense it. that Republicans are totally they're disorganized and disarray, yeah. dysfunctional. Right, I agree. They're getting it up and enjoying it. You know, their sympathy, I'm, it's in quotations. I don't, sarcasm, I don't believe they are, are greatly sympathetic. They like seeing this, yes, and they're making fun of it. But, you know, I think the process that's going on and some of the points about the rules, uh, I did not know every single one of those rules changes that have occurred, and I'm really glad that all of this is being brought to light. Mm, interesting. And if we can bring back and um, put these rules back in that we've lost some of them from. Yeah. Um, well, decisions, Sh- I Sheila, I, I think you've raised some really good points and probably one of the best arguments that I've heard for why this isn't maybe embarrassing, but. It's for the greater good that they're actually accomplishing things and we, the American people, get a better understanding of, okay, this is the rulemaking process. These are the processes and procedures that they follow, that they go through on a regular basis and that needed to be changed. So I appreciate the call with that in mind. Thank you. You are welcome. And have a very happy new year. 303-696-1971. That's a good point. I mean, I do want to see what all these items really are in the end. What are the final concessions? And what was it that McCarthy had agreed to earlier on versus what came about over the course of the past few days? Because there were some of these concessions that McCarthy had already made to the Republican conference. Now, the one thing I, I understand what Sheila's saying, I think she makes a good point about, OK, this is a good way for us to get a better understanding a little bit. But even then, I'm not too clear on some of the rules. And I think there could have been discussion among talk radio and conservative politicians and others about the rules changes publicly that they got behind closed doors. It might not have had the big spectacle. And I think we could have gotten some awareness without bringing it to the public. I'm not there yet at saying that this public show was worth it until I know that there were enough gains that resulted from four days of public debate, public sense of disarray and dysfunction that really resulted in something tangible. Again, Kevin McCarthy should have nipped this in the bud earlier. Now, maybe it wasn't possible. 
at least from his standpoint. But again, Pelosi never would have brought her speakership to the House at any point if she had any doubt. In fact, she sewed it up in 2021 when her left flank was saying, we want to force the vote on Medicare for all, etc. And she got through on the first vote. Didn't have to worry about that. Now, I also do wonder about some of the motivations of certain politicians. Whether or not it is personal that they are pursuing here in terms of going against McCarthy in the ways that they have, or if it is simply substantive. So on round 12, you had like 13 Republicans flip. Round 13, one other Republican flipped. The full list, by the way, round 13 today, Representative Andy Harris of Maryland flipped. And in round 12, Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Josh Breshin of Oklahoma, Michael Cloud of Texas, Andrew Kyle of Georgia, Byron Donalds of Florida, Paul Gosar of Arizona, Anna Paulina Luna of Florida, Mary Miller of Illinois, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, Andy Ogles of Tennessee, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, the Freedom Conference um, leader, Freedom Caucus leader, Chip Roy of Texas, Keith Self of Texas. They all got on board, yet Matt Gates didn't. And here is what Matt Gates said in round 12, when he was nominating Jim Jordan, who, by the way, like everybody else who had ever been nominated through this process, was supporting Kevin McCarthy. You only earn the position of Speaker of the House if you can get the votes. Mr. McCarthy doesn't have the votes today. He will not have the votes tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And he will not have the votes next week, next month, next year. And so one must wonder, Madam Clerk, Is this an exercise in vanity for someone who has done the math, taken the counts, and is putting this institution through something that absolutely is avoidable? Matt Gates, I I don't know. I get the feeling that this is a vanity play for Gates. I'm not saying that this is the case for the other five who are the remaining six holdouts. But Matt Gates, I get the absolute sense he is the one who nominated Trump and was the one vote for Trump on a two or three rounds. I think he is actually that that was Matt Gates's pot calling the kettle black right there. Especially because now he's reportedly talking about voting for McCarthy tonight, despite what he said there. I don't know. There, there are some of the some of the players where I'm like, what are your real motivations here? Especially after thirteen of fourteen of your fellow dissenters, by the time you adjourned this afternoon, fourteen of them had flipped. Why didn't you? Three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one is our telephone number. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. We'll come back with Lewis in Aurora. Three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one. Keep it right here, Jimmy, in for Deborah seven ten KNUS. Yes, indeed, we are talking about the swamp. Listening to some swamp music. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora today. Stephen Tubbs warming up in a bullpen up four to seven. And then I'll be back in the saddle tomorrow morning, 6 to 9, with the Jimmy Sangenberger Show right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Plus, Monday, I'll be in 
for George Brockler for the full show from 6 to 10 Monday morning. Don't miss it. We'll have much to talk about. And in fact, tonight, if we do get the final vote, number 14, if it is the final vote, we'll talk about the fallout tomorrow morning on my show again, 6 to 9. Be sure to tune in then. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. Let's go to Lewis in Aurora. Good afternoon, Lewis. You're on with Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, I like that song. Hey, and I agree with you that, you know, let's see how this all shakes out to see if it was really worth it for these folks to hold out. And one thing I want to say, I like Lauren, but the word never shouldn't have been used. We In the did, context of never did. Kevin, when she was talking about never Kevin's, right, okay. and that the other and the others, she said that they she has never you know she has others that are never Kevin. Well, that's a dangerous word, you know that to use never on something, because then when it happens, you look like a fool. <laughs> right, that's a good point. I mean, what if Bobert? What if? Gates, what if the rest? I mean, there are already some of those who were decidedly never Kevins, at least reportedly, right. and they flip. Like Paul Gosar in Arizona, Chip Roy. Roy. I mean, when you look at Scott Perry from the Freedom Caucus, they clearly seem to be never Kevins, but never really say never in Congress, I think, when you're talking about fellow Republicans and leadership. Exactly. Oh, anything. Good point. You know, I don't like to use the word never because. If something happens, then I have to eat my words. You know, that's a really good point, Lewis. And I think you can think about, for example, never Trump. Like there were some who were very much never Trump during the Republican primaries of 2016. No way. I'm no way in hell am I going to vote for him. Then it becomes Trump versus Hillary Clinton. And obviously you have to vote for Donald Trump. And then you're no longer (laughs) never Trump. And what's interesting, too, is sometimes like for me, I've called balls and strikes with Donald Trump. I thought he had, on the whole, a very successful, thriving presidency. But during and after his presidency, I have been critical of Trump. There's no never Trump in me. There's a Trump critic in me. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's why I say that that word never, you got to be careful because you You'll eat your own words. Well, I mean, there's a there's a the movie. It wasn't officially a James Bond movie, but it was James Bond movie. Never say never again, starring Sean Connery. Right. And I, right. just that comes to mind when you talk about never. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, All great right. point, Lewis. I appreciate the call. Have a very happy New Year, my friend. You too. God bless you. Bye. You as well. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. A few minutes left of yours truly on the program. This was rather interesting coming from Tucker Carlson as he sort of was complimenting McCarthy last night on Fox News, um, but also talking about the then 20 holdouts that now has been reduced to six. So say what you will about the effort to prevent McCarthy from becoming speaker, the terrorism, as we're calling it in Washington, is terrorism. That effort has one upside. That effort has challenged the current system in a meaningful way. Hopefully. Kevin McCarthy may in the end become speaker of the House. He likely will because no one seems man enough to challenge him directly. So he'll get it by default. And he's trying really hard. So maybe he does deserve it. Hmm. But here's the critical thing to know. If he does become speaker, by the time 
he becomes Speaker, Kevin McCarthy will have learned a lot. Kevin McCarthy will have publicly acknowledged his failures. He will have been forced to face the people he has disappointed, both within the Congress and outside of it. And he will have promised to change. So here mm. we, we will have suffering, accountability, and repentance. Those are not bad things. No, those are the best things. Those are the wrenching life experiences that turn the mediocre into decent people. And Kevin McCarthy never would have done any of that unless he was forced to. None of us will ever do any of that hmm. unless we're forced to. Interesting. Will Kevin McCarthy come out stronger? Will he have more respect from his caucus? Could that be worth all the dysfunction, or at least the perception of dysfunction over the past four days, that you get some concessions and you get a leader in McCarthy as Speaker of the House who's better able to corral his troops, so to speak, who's better able to accomplish objectives for the Republican agenda to provide that oversight, so on and so forth. That may well be the outcome here. And it's interesting, Tucker saying, well, he's the only one man enough to put himself out there, which is true. Byron Donalds never really sought the speakership. He voted for himself, but he never really sought the speakership. Similarly with Kevin Hearn, who was nominated multiple times by Lauren Boebert. Certainly Jim Jordan didn't want it. He literally said, don't nominate me, but Gates did it anyway. And his name kept coming up as recently as the 13th round. He got the six dissenter votes. It's just all a fascinating whirlwind. I'm looking forward to getting into what I hope is the fallout tomorrow after a speaker is determined. I would like to see Speaker McCarthy be able to go on the trip to El Paso, Texas, to the southern border with Joe Biden. Don't let Biden take that by himself because the guy's only now suddenly discovered he's discovered the southern border crisis exists. We need Republican leaders to be down there with him. Don't let him take this as some kind of win. Now, finally, it is January 6th, the two-year anniversary of the riot at the U.S. Capitol. I want to be very clear about this. I condemned it two days later in a column for the Denver Gazette. A riot is a riot on the left or the right. It's disgraceful what happened on January 6th. But at the same time, the way that the left-wing media and the Democrats have taken this whole thing and run with it in an insurrectionist narrative and, and the kind of rhetoric that they're using is absurd. For example, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC lamenting how there's not really much to speak of on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol right now. Oh, darn. It's a pill made even harder to swallow when you consider the whitewashing underway in the U.S. Capitol right now as Ooh, we speak. Whitewashing. Washington Post reports this. References to the attack are nowhere to be seen in the Capitol Visitor Center's newly renovated exhibition hall designed to walk people through the building's history. The attack is not mentioned in the pre-tour video, and tour guides are silent on the topic. Quote, they have been told to only refer to January 6th if questioned on a tour. It's according to former tour guides and people familiar with the center's operations. It is a policy that in many ways reflects a country at odds with itself, unable to agree on fact and truth, and reluctant to engage on the history of a day that threatened democracy. Folks, I'm sorry, but I am playing the world's smallest harmonica. It's so small you can't even hear it. For Nicole Wallace, for the Washington Post writer's room, for all those who are just so upset because the Capitol doesn't have a big to-do about January 6th. 
which they have built up to be much more than it really is. I may touch on this a little bit more tomorrow morning on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, broadcasting every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 right here on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Again, I'll be in for George Brockler coming up on Monday as well. There is so much to discuss, including Biden's trip to the border. What is the significance here? Jen Psaki is back on MSNBC about that one. Trip to the border, then get him. What does it get the president? It it allows him to kind of brush that away and move forward. This has been one of the biggest attacks from Republicans, right? You haven't even been to the border. You haven't seen what's happened. He's vocalized and said it's a problem. It's outdated. It's broken. We need to fix it. That's why he put forward a plan on this first day. This allows him to say, I've been to the border. I've put forward a plan. What's in your cupboard? What are you putting forward? Jen Psaki is still carrying the water for Joe Biden. Oh, he gets to brush that away. Really? No, I don't think so. Yeah, he's finally going down to the southern border. But what's actually being done about it? What will he actually do about it? What will come of this trip? Oh, gosh. But there's, thankfully, there's no shortage of things to talk about here on the radio. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Also, go ahead and check out my column for the Denver Gazette, denvergazette.com. It's on my Twitter, at Sang Center. Will mayoral hopefuls speak out on Denver schools? God bless America. Have a great weekend. Never give up. Never surrender. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.